Hello, HR professionals. Good news. This episode of the Great Retention Podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. Stay tuned to access your certification code. Welcome to The Great Retention, a show spotlighting executive leaders who build award-winning cultures where people feel empowered, seen, and recognized. I'm your co-host, John Duesberg, co-founder of Cool Leaf. And today, I'd like to introduce you to my business partner and co-founder and co-host, Prem Bhatia. We're on a mission here at Cool Leaf to help people-first leaders like you elevate your employee experience. So whether you're leading a small business or a large enterprise in a fully distributed or in-office culture, welcome to our community here at The Great Retention. In your growing company, it's important to create a culture where top talent not only wants to stay and grow, but is attracted to in the first place. Why would a business leader choose not to hire the perfect candidate? Are stigmas around hiring formerly incarcerated people true? Today, Prem sits down with Andre Pert, founder and CEO of ConConnect, as they unpack Andre's experience of re-entering the workforce and the stigmas around hiring formerly incarcerated people. ConConnect is redefining equal opportunity to employment by offering business leaders and corporations a platform to engage, learn, and hire formerly incarcerated talent through a LinkedIn-style hiring process. You won't want to miss Andre sharing about the numbers around formerly incarcerated individuals entering the workforce, how ConConnect is helping HR professionals find talent that has been overlooked, as well as his own incarceration story. All right, let's jump right into the conversation with Andre Bird. Over to you, Prem. Andre, if you don't mind giving everybody just a quick overview of your background and what ConConnect is, that'd be great. Yeah, Prem. So thanks for having me on the show, man. Good question about, um, you know, the business. Just to give you a quick overview on me and the business. I'm from New York State, um, did six years in state prison, went through a sort of really, really rough journey. And we'll go through more of the details and, and the juicy parts later. But that eventually had me start ConConnect. ConConnect connects people that did prison time, formerly incarcerated, justice impacted individuals on parole, probation, and connects them with different services such as healthcare housing, banking, transportation, and then employment. So we do it in that step. So that way, by the time we connect them with employer partners, they're employment ready, right? So we're sort of like a LinkedIn style social network for formerly incarcerated. We're a case management system for service providers, and then we're a job posting platform for employers. So bringing all the stakeholders involved in the platform. So that way, individuals coming home from prison don't have to bounce around and meet these stakeholders that they need. They find them all in one network. That's great. Um, congrats. I know as a founder, um, can tell us a little bit about, are you, do you have co-founders? Is it just you? Um, tell me a little bit about Yeah, definitely. Um, single founder prem. So definitely have a, um, a great team, but I started the company by myself. Um, and just sort of, you know, until we can actually start hiring people. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, if you think about what you guys are doing at ConConnect, I mean, it, it would be great to sort of tell a little bit about what your background and your story, your lived experience on this. Like, can you tell me a little bit about that? Maybe just help for, you know, I I'm personally interested in, cause I don't, I don't think I've heard this and I think it'd be great for our listeners to hear it as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I never mind sharing the story. So again, New York city. So grew, grew up in New York city and then just 
skipping through like the childhood part and up to like early 20s got in trouble weapons offense so was caught with a couple weapons and drugs and for me that sent me to an eight-year sentence where i was fortunate enough to do just six years out of the eight due to good behavior and get out of that get out of prison and what a lot of people feel to you know they, it's always super hard for them to believe i tell people it's harder for me to get out of prison and go through that journey than actually the time i did in prison the time in prison was time in prison but leaving out trying to get a job trying to get services um with that felony on your record totally different ball game it was no longer the same normal route that i know that i um, went through before that conviction so super hard to get social services health insurance got to go through a different route because you have a felony um a job different categories of jobs now that i'm used to because i have a felony so like maintenance scrubbing toilets um, on the back of garbage trucks, literally the things I'm naming are the jobs that I actually did within like my first nine months of being home. And then um, just uh, having to be in a shelter because, you know, no housing now because you have this felony record. So really going through all of that stuff um, brought me to say there's 600,000 more individuals coming home from state prison every year. It's not just me. And that um, didn't it didn't sit right. Right. It didn't sit right with me. Starting a nonprofit didn't sit right with me like, hey, let me just help my community when there's like the whole 50 states are, well, the United States has locked up the most, more people than any entire country in the world. So it was, something needed to be done. And I just saw technology as a way to innovate this entire system. That's awesome. That's, that's like, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't, you know, understand that there's a lot of folks that have gone through the system and possibly for those offenses that have been expunged for many of those folks, that's been hopefully fortunate for many folks, but I know it's still an issue. Can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, obviously like expungement is something that happens after a while, I think, right? Is that right? In terms of your record or how does that work? So um, expungement, it's a popular thing to talk about, then it's really not, a, it's a popular thing to talk about amongst um politics, right? Politicians, you know, representatives, when it comes to individuals actually affected by it, it's seven to 10 years before you can even go get expungement, right? Uh, in most circumstances. So when you still look at, when I still look at it, I got to wait seven to 10 years before I can live a normal life. Like, I'm not worried about that. By, by year seven, I would hope that um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, Who's thinking about expungement anymore at year seven? I've probably got a house by myself through, oh, I've probably done everything, but all the hard way. I've gotten a house, a job through through the struggle, but now I'm at year seven. And do I really feel like, oh, let me go get expunged and do all this stuff all over again to try to get a, a better house or let me go get a, a better career now. Let me re redo my life. So, you know, expungement's a popular thing, getting people, hey, let's get your record. But a lot, what a lot of individuals don't know and why these talks are good is you got to wait seven to seven, seven to 10 years. Right. In, in 90 percent of those cases. So it's not something that somebody can do within their first year, their second year. And you still got that record and you still got to fight the system for seven years. When you set out to kind of have those issues that you confronted after your time, um, you know, tell us a little bit about why, you know, you decided that tech was the answer around, um, you know, how you're specifically you know, addressing this issue versus other approaches that have been taken around it? I want to really say the only other approach that's ever been like taken was, um, you know, nonprofits, right? The reentry providers, you start a nonprofit, you provide a service, you start a nonprofit to help people with resumes or to do job placement. And that, you know, that's cool. It causes impact in a community. Um, 
I'm the one who say I belong to the younger generation and I really didn't see nonprofit as an innovative way to like to approach. So it's like I saw technology being I had a computer science background in college. Um, I'm just big on, you know, computer science, technology just in general. So I just envisioned, you know, literally just in a shelter in my bed. How can technology come into this sector and do all this? And I thought of LinkedIn. I was like, well, LinkedIn's like networking people around and who needs more networking than like somebody like me? I was like, I need to be networked around with the proper stakeholders. And that's where I just said, let me just go on and build that te build that technology. So, you know, technology to me, like it's making corporations make more money. It's getting people like to listen to this podcast. Like right now we're using technology in the reentry sector and nonprofit, social and civic. Um, it, you would think if you worked in that sector, you'd feel like it's 1950. There is there's no technology, pens, papers, folders, spreadsheets, and you know we're still in 2023, so the entire sector was missing technology. So tell us a little bit about like you know when you think about reentry professionals, you know what are the, some of the stigmas that you know you've seen with um, employers, and you know how do we kind of address some of those? What's what's sort of the the stigma right now, and and how do you think? you know, you're going about addressing that now. Yeah. So with the, you know, the stigma, every time I get asked this question and, you know, we're the largest company, like tech company doing the, the re-entry, the adjusted technology. It's like, to be honest, the stigma is a, it's like a fake hidden stigma, right? When we get on the call with employers, um, employers have, they've heard about the stigma of, Hey, if I hire somebody, you know, are they going to like, if I hire a bank robber, like, are they going to like rob, you know, the place? Or if I hire this person who sold drugs, they're going to sell drugs in my establishment. Um, nobody's ever mentioned that to us on a call because now we're going, we're in an actual time where it's actually a conversation to be talked about. And there's no data points showing that this is, that actually ever happened. Like Prem, I mean, there's actually no data showing these things that the stigma, all the stigma, what, it, what it's about, that it actually ever happened. So when we go into these calls, it's more so now what we hear is, hey, legally, you know, certain jobs can't match with certain backgrounds. For example, going back to the bank at a bank, we can't hire a bank robber to work as a bank teller. Just is not going to, it's not going to fit. So that's more of the, and I don't really want to call that a stigma. I want to call that's more of the conflict we see when we're on these calls. We use the tech. So what we do and how we fix that is our technology, employer posts a job on our platform. Our technology takes that job and connects it with a formerly incarcerated individual who has done like services, professional upskilling, soft skills that match what that employer is looking for. So that way we can have a better match. Their criminal background is not going to conflict with that job. They have the soft skills. And that way we can give the employer a more safe, secure approach to getting the talent and really not the end and overlooking the stigma because now they can get on this platform and see individuals as an individual. But to be honest, um, we actually haven't like been on a call where it's like, if I hire some violent felony offenders, Andre, or, you know, are they going to be like doing crazy stuff? It's always like, well, and our our legal team just has this stuff written up like this as of right now. So, you know, we have to match roles with certain individuals. I see. And what industries are you all like finding that you're placing folks into for the most part now? Um, or, you know, are there industries that should be doing more with um, formerly incarcerated individuals that are not? Um, are there industries that have taken the lead on some of that? There's, you know, the I want to say the blue collar industry has always taken the lead on hiring formerly incarcerated individuals. And it's not always because they've been the most caring. It's because when you think blue collar, let's be real, it's not always the best paying um, type of jobs in the blue collar sector. There are some really good high paying jobs in the blue collar sector. 70% of them aren't high paying jobs. So those are the jobs that are given to these individuals. So it's like, 
a, a lot of it looks like doing good when in reality it's like this is like hard labor that really I can't find other people to do and this population's willing because there is nothing else. Then we have tech companies that are actually now starting a bunch of boot camps like Slack has started something, you know, to help people like get into like land jobs in tech. You do have um, the tech industry that's like certain companies looking into like how they can do more to get people that are formerly incarcerated in tech jobs. We, we are seeing other companies step up and try to figure out like, well, let's get people placing like customer success, more remote jobs where they're actually not in, in our office. And I don't really like the approach too much because it still is like, well, why are you holding them from being in the office? Well, I would like to, you know, I want to network with Prem in the office and have a coffee. So we don't like the stigma of that, but it's like it's still a start for us as a company. Right. It's and not in a business, but in an impact point of view, it's still a start for the people that we're serving. So industries that can do more is really all industries. If they look at it in a economically strategic way, matching talent that has different backgrounds with different skills based on what they were locked up for, for like, you know, an ex somebody did like drug dealing, but got like a kingpin charge, meaning they made millions of dollars. I'm sure they have the skills to work in somewhere where they can apply those skills. It's just about how can you match those individuals instead of overlooking those individuals, right? So we've I've seen plenty of those things um, where we place people based off their previous different skills. And most of those skills may be things like state sold drugs. And we figure out how do we transfer those skills into things that can be applied in real business, right? Um, perfect example for him. Um, I got locked up for selling a, a ton of drugs. I use a lot of what I did to grow that, to grow that um, industry when I was in that applied to my startup today and in a year we grew into like 17 different cities right so it's just like transferable skills into finding it and we're trying to help employers just look at it that way yeah you know it's um it's like the flip side of like hustle right yeah like and i think what's interesting about entrepreneurship um so i'm one of the co-founders at Coolif, and you're you obviously taking the road as a founder um so much of what people talk about is hustle, right? And so that the angle of kind of like applying that in a positive direction, um, as opposed to one that's destructive for families or destructive for the individual, like, you know, is just amazing. I think that's great. You know, I think the idea of actually, have you guys thought about making this more of an entrepreneurship track for many of those folks or not? We've thought of that, and then we the transparent answer is not everybody coming. So the the thing is, hey, let's let's do entrepreneurship because they can't get a job. Formerly incarcerated can't get a job, so the best thing for them is entrepreneurship, and that's what a lot of people say. And then we tell them that's true and not true. Not everybody's, and it goes back to let's take it to the average person. The average person, not everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody's built to be a founder. Same thing for a formerly incarcerated individual. Just because they have a felony that can't get and they can't get a job doesn't mean Let's try to figure out how, because then you'll still send 30% of them up to fail because entrepreneurship is not embedded in their body and their DNA and their blood nor their mindset. So we have thought of that, but we also just try to figure out where do these people want, where would they have been or where would they have wanted to be in their life if they didn't have this conviction? Where does, I like to say, where does the good side of you, where, where you know, before you went to that lifestyle, where did you think of your future? Were you a lawyer? Were you a doctor? How do we get you those credentials to get back there? Right. Versus like, and if you want to be an entrepreneur, how do we get you there? We actually want to meet people where they want to be. And that's always been like our thing on the contact with asking people during onboarding, where do you want to be? Right. Uh, and we try to match you so we can get you there. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Like in some industries, how, you know, you look at someone like 50 cent who just basically took what he like learned on the streets and then turned it into like a hip hop 
you know, career, like it's like, do you see more of that happening in hip hop and other places like where it's almost seen as like, you've, you've got more cred now that you come into like, like that world. I mean, tell me a little bit about that and how that could be true of like entrepreneurship or other areas as well. I want to say that, um, so yes, like in entrepreneurship, like from 50 Cent to being in the streets, taking it to like hip hop. Um, we all know the stuff he's doing. He sold vitamin water. He's doing, he's making bank, right? And it's a lot of those skills and a lot of the, a lot of 50 Cent strategy being real bold. A lot of his bad strategy and the things he does and the way he dominates on these deals and businesses are everything, his stuff from the streets. Like a lot of his like upbringing, his knowledge and the way he enforces things coming from the street because um, that's just how business should be done. Really straightforward. I see that in a lot of these formerly incarcerated individuals, um, and I see it in real time from like formerly incarcerated individuals now that have come home and that have like used all those past drug experience, drug dealing or whatever, and now have million dollar businesses. Like just like talking about one like um, Con Body, guy did um, seven years in state prison, lost 100 pounds in state prison, came home, was a kingpin, made millions, used that, now has a um, fitness boot camp in New York City, they just opened it, they're, now they're franchising all over the world, right? It's like, um. so I'm actually watching vit people, companies, and it's like six formerly incarcerated individuals that have companies making, you know, doing cause and impact, making money, and all those qualities were just right, coming from like their street life and now bringing it into the entrepreneurship and now dominating the entrepreneurship world in their industries using all their, their past street knowledge. Um, do you find that when employers are, bringing folks that are formerly incarcerated into, you know, into their employee ranks, like, are those folks more likely to stick around in many cases, or are they less likely to stick around? Tell us a little bit about how that retention works. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of great studies out there, prison policy initiative, um, SHRM has studies, most people know about SHRM. So we'll just like use their studies. 88% of employers they spoke to said their talent that's formerly incarcerated lasted, um, believe three times as long as their average talent. So on average, formerly incarcerated lasts at least five years in the workplace. Um, you know, the army did a survey where it was how many formerly incarcerated individuals do we promote to lieutenant versus our individuals that aren't. And they promoted formerly incarcerated individuals to lieutenant and sergeant faster than their normal individuals that were joining the army or joining the Marines. So there's a bunch of data, right, that just shows that formerly incarcerated individuals get a job and they stick to the job. Those qualities come from loyalty, understanding like the hardship of how it was to get a job. And when I get that first offer from somebody like, you know, Prem, I'm working at Coolleaf, I get that offer. You have my loyalty and you may not know why, but it's because of the struggle I went through. And now I have this opportunity to, to you know, finally like give back, be a citizen. And they show through that longevity of staying at workplaces and then it's also just the understanding of why do I want to go through the search again, right? Why do I want to leave Cooley or leave Con Connect and go through the search again of finding another job? And, you know, all those things have pointed back to just people, long retention rates inside of, inside of corporations. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't maybe understand that when folks get that second chance, it's something they take very seriously. Right. I know that's like, uh, and I think that's, that's something that's worth like kind of emphasizing is that as you think about roles and we talk about labor shortage in this country, um, is it possible to sort of look at like the future kind of, of the types of things that you all are doing to kind of 
you know, look at those specific areas where we have a serious labor shortage um, of specific roles. Like, are you guys focused on doing some of that already? We're focused on doing it now. So we're, I mean, we're, we're him. That's our main side. We're hamming the, I like to say the HR, the employment side of our business. So we're working with staff and agencies. We're working with employers directly, um, working with training providers and just doing a number of different things. But what we're really doing is identifying the high turnover roles in most industries right now, really identifying those and then talking to companies that hire a ton of those positions and helping them learn that those don't have to be high turnover anymore. If you give a population a chance, you can turn what's been high turnover positions in your corporation for maybe 20 years because companies know like they get used to it. Those are just our high turnover positions. We have an outsourcing recruitment firm that deals with them and we don't really give two craps, like we're gonna do it. And if we, we go in there, try to change that mindset, right? You can turn this into a position that's no longer high turnover. Do you wanna see what 20 years of savings looks like when you're not firing or we're not firing or people are not leaving every you know one year, 16 months? And that's what we're doing right now. It's amazing. Um, so for leaders that are watching this and considering um, that many folks haven't even really entertain the idea of formerly incarcerated um, individuals as part of their employee workforce. Um, what advice would you give them now? And kind of what are the next steps that they can take to start down this path? I always tell, I best this is not really advice. It's, I like to give the truth to, you know, most employers, a third of the U.S. population is formerly incarcerated or has a record. One in every three individuals, no matter where you're at a bar, you're at a restaurant, in your workforce, if it's more than 250 people, most most likely somebody there has some type of record and they're most likely performing within your company. So it's always tell people, give people a shot. And I always tell people, I'm sure you can um, relate to this, Prem, but whether it's incarceration or something in life, we've all been given a second chance, right? Whether it's just something, whether it was another job, whether it doesn't have to report to like, um, doesn't have to relate to incarceration directly, but people have been given a second chance, most individuals. So always tell employers what would have happened if you weren't given that second chance and where would you be at today? So when we ask employers to give a second chance on our platform, they can do that directly through conconnect.com. We do an onboarding with every employer so they understand how they can get talent on our platform, the difference in using it, and how we can give them data to make smart decisions, and then how their workforce looks with a now diversified um, workforce. So all it all happens at conconnect.com. Amazing. Um, Andre. Thanks so much for joining us today, telling us a little bit about the story of ConConnect. Um, excited for you guys and your founder journey. I know it's uh, I know it's a tough one um, sometimes, but it's also an amazing journey to to be on. So, um, you know, we'd love to stay connected and look forward to having everybody check out ConConnect. And um, thanks for your time today. It's really great. No, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. All appreciate right. it. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks. That wraps up another edition of the Great Retention. Thank you for joining us and being a leader who genuinely cares about recognizing and empowering the everyday hero and the team members around you. We are proud to support your leadership journey and grateful for your support of this podcast. If you haven't already, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. This helps us get this content in front of more aspiring people first business leaders. If you'd like more perspectives on how to create exceptional cultures around award-winning talent, Go to coolleaf.com and sign up for our newsletter to get them straight into your inbox two times per month. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. 
Thanks again for listening. Now go be people first leaders by celebrating and connecting your people today. HR professionals, thanks for listening. As promised, this episode of the Great Retention Podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. To claim your SHRM credit, please visit thegreatretention.com slash SHRM. To claim your HRCI credit, please visit thegreatretention.com slash HRCI. Complete the three-question form to receive your certification code. That's thegreatretention.com slash SHRM and thegreatretention.com slash HRCI.